All right, Jesse, last week's Double Doctor show was truly infuriating, but very important. What's the story about this time around? A couple's turbulent relationship is only heightened when it becomes a love triangle and then a love quadrangle. Jealousy, betrayal, and lust abound until one young mother goes missing. I'm Andy Kissette. And I'm Jesse Prey, and this is Love Murder. Hi, Andy. Hi, Jesse. Welcome back, everyone, to Love Murder, a podcast about being bad, getting mad, and love gone fatally wrong. You can find Love Murder on Twitter and Instagram at Love Murder Pod and on Facebook by searching Love Murder Podcast. If you enjoy this show, please love slash murder a five-star rating on your podcast app. Subscribe and review to help new people discover the show. We are also still sending out those really cute red flags everywhere stickers for an Apple review. Make sure if you've done one recently to send it on in to us so we can get a sticker out to you. Also, if you're interested in supporting the show more directly, head on over to patreon.com slash lovemurderpod where you can learn all about the different tiers of support. Speaking of Patreon, we're so thrilled as always this week to welcome and shout out a new set of incredible patrons. Welcome to Audrey C., Alicia L., and Megan F., Rachel C., Jessica H., and Martha L., and Tracy J., and Shandy E. Welcome, guys. We will definitely have a couple bonus episodes for the I Really Like You and Up tiers coming up soon this month. So look forward to that in your ear holes and also look forward to today's story because it is a return, Andy, to our usual messy, messy, messy love story gone wrong. Let's do it. Dr. Barbara Wolf, renowned forensic pathologist, is, to put it mildly, a total badass. She's worked alongside law enforcement to put away the worst of the worst, murderers and child abusers. She's worked on cases as notorious as the murder of Nicole Brown Simpson and O.J. Simpson's subsequent trial, and she's also assisted in the identification of human remains in mass graves in Croatia and Bosnia. In March of 2009, however, her work brought her somewhere decidedly less glamorous than Brentwood, California, and much more down home than the war fields of foreign lands. Dr. Wolf had been called to a scene in Boardman, Florida. A makeshift grave had been discovered in the back of a modest, rundown home near a dilapidated trailer full of junk and sporting broken windows. The scene was swampy, lush, overgrown, and of course, depressing, as all crime scenes are. It had already been partially excavated, but once a body had been discovered, Dr. Wolf had been called in to maintain the integrity of the scene. It was clear to Dr. Wolf that the burial had been a hasty one. Only about 15 inches into the earth, law enforcement had discovered a mahogany board. When lifted, it revealed coarse black fabric that belonged to a suitcase. A young woman's body had been forced into the suitcase, and though the murderer had sought to bend her knees and stuff her inside, the suitcase was just too small. Inside the bag, the woman's head was covered with a blue blanket. This immediately led the detectives to believe that the killer had known and perhaps cared for this woman. And they already thought they knew who that person might be. Someone who had loved and hated the deceased fiercely. 
but had that person acted alone. The young woman in the makeshift grave was a mother, a person who was actively overcoming a rough childhood and an abusive romantic partner, someone who had worked long hours to provide for her children with more than she had had. She had been meant for so much more in life before the machinations of two craven individuals robbed her of her life. Ugh. Today's story is a tangled mess of young love gone horrifically wrong, messed up loyalties, sordid sex acts, and seething jealousies. Our primary source is M. William Phelps's book, To Love and to Kill. It's a great book, and he has a real spicy attitude while interviewing guilty parties, which I really enjoyed. (laughs) We'll talk about that at the end of the episode. So let's jump back into the case, starting back at the beginning with some teenage lovers named Heather Strong and Josh Fulgham. Heather and Josh were still youngins when they met in Mississippi. Heather's parents had met and married pretty young. I believe they were also only in their teens. They welcomed baby Heather in 1982, but the couple struggled in their relationship and also to provide for their family. Heather's dad was a pretty bad alcoholic. He was absent physically and definitely emotionally for a lot of Heather's early life. There was also some speculation that Heather had been sexually abused by someone close to the family as well. Ugh, poor girl. Despite all of this, despite all of the chaos and this hardship, she grew into a really kind, caring, and capable teenager. I think it's sometimes like that when you have chaos in your home that you become the responsible person and you decide to be the helper. And she was always willing to lend a hand, help out. Her dad said that although he hadn't been a perfect partner to her mother or a parent to Heather, Heather had picked up the slack from an early age and done everything she could to lighten her mother's load. He said that she was a wonderful child She was always trying to help around the house, washing clothes, washing dishes. Heather was always there for her mother. And all she really wanted out of life was a loving family. She craved stability and loyalty in a way that she saw that her parents didn't have in their relationship and they were unable to give to her. She believed she had found that while waitressing at 15 years old when she met Josh. The pretty blonde server waited on the bad boy teenager, and they both felt an immediate attraction. Josh had his own share of troubles. His father was largely out of the picture, and one of his mother's boyfriends had beat him pretty viciously when he was only a small child. But because of that, he said that he learned that the only way to get anything in life is to be mean and tough and cruel, because that's what you teach a child when you're violent to them. Yeah. And it was just the only way he knew to command any respect. By the time he was 15, he had landed himself in a reformatory school on an arson charge. Josh was sent home after eight weeks due to overcrowding, but he had not been rehabilitated in the very least. He was soon caught with booze and drugs after getting caught breaking into a neighbor's house. And the goal of the robbery had been to steal the neighbor's guns. Oh, my God. I thought you were going to say booze. Guns are way worse. (laughs) Way worse. I think they just picked up the drugs and booze along the way. So he was thrown back into the reformatory school and this time for a much longer stay. The day he was released happened to be his 16th birthday. He celebrated by going out to eat with some friends. And that was the very night he laid eyes on Heather Strong. So who can resist that fresh out of juvie swag? Seriously, bad boy. 
This is like love after lockup junior here. The, the chemistry between them was apparently immediate. Josh did have a girlfriend at the time. He had had a longtime teenage girlfriend, but the girlfriend could not stop what Josh felt was destiny when he met Heather. So the two exchanged information and a deep connection was forged. Despite Josh not ending his relationship and his subsequent third and fourth stays at the reformatory school, the couple did stay connected and they began a close relationship. When Heather was sexually assaulted by someone close to her and needed a place to stay, it was actually Josh's mother who took her in. Wow, okay. So that's how close they had become. And then Josh was still basically in juvie at this point when she went to go stay with his mother. So when he got out, he moved back into the home with his mother and now with Heather. Yeah. And he definitely said goodbye to his girlfriend now because it was probably overwhelming seeing Heather be part of his family already. And they couldn't fight it any longer. So they got together at that point. And Josh also said that his mother kind of raised Heather. His mother's the one who took Heather to get her driving test and was there for her and made sure she went to school and really became another mother figure to her as well. Good, because obviously her mom at home wasn't looking out for her best interest. Yeah, Heather really had a rough time about it. So at that point, I think now that they were already a unit, he decided to straighten up and commit to Heather completely and get his life back on track. So when they were both about 18 years old, they welcomed their first child, who was a little girl. And while Heather immersed herself in motherhood, Josh immersed himself in something else, crystal meth. Predictably, everything went to hell after this in their relationship because meth is a real poop in the punch bowl of life. So Josh became physically abusive with Heather and also began cheating on her with a myriad of young women. And Heather loved Josh, but she knew she had to do what was right for her baby and for herself. So she actually took her daughter and moved in with her grandmother. Oh, my God. Amazing. Yeah, very strong. Just like her last name. Very strong. (laughs) But the problem is that Josh could not let her go. And this is a a running theme. Every time Heather gets her shit together and is like, I deserve better than this and leaves, he always goes right back after her and tries to pull her back in. So he'd have these moments of longing or clarity or he'd get sober and have regrets and he'd want to see her. He'd want to see the baby. And eventually, of course, he'd worm his way back into Heather's heart. Josh also claimed that around this time, he also introduced Heather to drugs and she began to dabble as well. But that's from Josh. We don't know for sure. But during this tumultuous time in the young couple's life, we do know that Heather got pregnant again. And unfortunately, Josh did not step up even remotely. He started binging worse than ever. At one point, he ran off with a woman who was in her early to mid 30s and he's only 21 and he said that he stayed up doing meth for two weeks straight he didn't sleep what yeah wait that's not even humanly possible is it i don't know what meth can do to a human body no but i mean like with or without meth like i feel like that's not even like how does that that's torture the human body is not meant to withstand that This is just his account. So this is kind of his rock bottom moment. He said he was up for two weeks straight. His new girlfriend left for work. And he said he got up and he caught sight of himself in the mirror. And he said he looked like a zombie from a horror movie. 
And at that point, his mother had already moved to Florida. They were living in Mississippi. That's where he and Heather were both raised. And he called his mother and he started crying. And he said, I can't live like this. This is not a life. I've got to get cleaned up. Can I come live with you and try to turn my life around? And of course, she said yes. But part of that also included trying to get Heather back and get his family back together because his mother was still very close to Heather and they spoke all the time because, of course, she had... She's a grandmother. Mm-hmm. That was part of his plan and his mother was, of course, very encouraging, although I don't think this is the best thing for Heather. I'm sure she was just trying to get him to, like, step up for the kids, too. You know what I mean? Like... Exactly. Hoping that if he, like, turns his life around that he could, like, be there and help Heather as well and be a good role model for the kids, but... Yeah, and they so they agreed that Heather was going to also move down to Florida with their child. And first, though, they did decide to have their second child, but they knew that they could not provide for that child the way they would have liked to. Financially, they were pretty insecure at this point. They didn't have jobs, especially moving to Florida. And also emotionally, Josh clearly is in a vulnerable place. Heather's been through a lot. So they decided to place the second baby with an adoption agency, which I think is a very self-aware and selfless thing to do if they're where they cannot be good parents to that child. Yeah, I agree. After the adoption, Heather did move to Florida and rebuild her life with Josh. So about three years later or so in 2006, Heather got pregnant once more, but this time it was very different circumstances. They were living in Citra, Florida, where Heather worked as a waitress at the Iron Skillet in a Petro gas station, and Josh ran a lawn care crew. So they didn't have a ton of money, but they were hard workers. They had their shit together. They were both building a healthy life together at this point, and they felt ready to provide for a second baby to stay in their household this time. We were a happy little family, Josh said, but there was something missing. We had a poor sex life. Josh claimed that this caused him and Heather to argue a lot. I mean, how old are they at this time? They're still in their early 20s. I think they're like 24 at this point. 24, 25. I can't imagine trying to keep up with like a 24-year-old's libido while caring for a baby and being pregnant. And working long hours doing doubles on your feet. So when they fought, Josh would take off to hang out with a crew of friends that he had made in Florida. One of his friends was dating a baby-faced 22-year-old single mother named Amelia Yera, whom they all called Lily. Their friend detailed how wild Amelia was in bed, telling Josh that it was the greatest sex he'd ever had and what a crazy firecracker Amelia was in the sack. And the guy even asked Josh if he wanted to join them in bed to film some three-way sex for a porno. Oh, my God. Yeah, coming on strong. So Josh declined this offer, but in his story, he's feeling sex-starved, and then this whole situation is being kind of waved in his face. Yeah. So that put this kind of sexy little earworm in his head that Amelia... (laughs) was like this hot sex goddess who was like doing it all crazy and he started feeling an attraction towards her. Eventually this friend, the boyfriend of Amelia and the friend of Josh's, passed away in a car accident. So Amelia reached out to Josh to tell him what had happened about his dear friend and at that point 
he ended up driving to wherever Amelia was, where this couple had been living, and they got together to commiserate about their mutual loss. And one thing led to another. They ended up fornicating. They fornicated. It was Californication, only it was Florida fornication. Floridication. Floridication. So I think we all grieve differently. And the way these two grieved was by getting it on like jackrabbits. By now, it was the summer of 2007. Heather was home with their newborn baby. And Josh was now dipping out on the regular to get his Amelia fix. no. Yeah. Also, I have uh, no patience for people who cheat on their partners by saying that they're not having sex with them when they're talking about the interval of time of like the last two months of a pregnancy and then postpartum period. No, I know. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. Like, of course, of course, you're going to have to white knuckle it through a couple months without constant banging. I know. How are you going to do it? When she's just squeezed a watermelon out of our vagina. And you're like having a hard time jerking off. Like, I don't feel bad for you. (laughs) I have zero sympathy. And Josh definitely has, you'll see this throughout this episode. He has a grass is always greener situation going on. When he's away from Heather, he thinks he wants to straighten up and play happy family. But as soon as he gets what he wants, as soon as he wins Heather back and he's settled into a happy family life, He no longer wants security and stability and responsibility. He wants to party and have sex with randos. So let's talk about Josh's new gal pal. Amelia was born on August 4th, 1984, and spent her entire life in Florida, moving to the McIntosh area with her family when she was still pretty young. While Heather and Josh's upbringings were certainly less than ideal, Amelia's was an honest-to-goodness nightmare. So trigger warning, y'all, for sexual abuse of a child. Just hit that skip button if this is a trigger for you. Both Amelia's father and grandfather began sexually abusing her at the age of four. Oh, my God. Yeah. And the abuse did not stop until she very, very bravely came forward at the age of 15 to protect her younger sister, Milagro, from experiencing the same fate. Uh, How old was her little sister? I think maybe four years younger than her, like a slightly considerable amount. And she was also, according to Amelia Bourne, with 13 birth defects. The little sister? The little sister, yes. So I think that Amelia felt very protective of Milagro. This was very hard for Amelia to do. I know that... She did go to, I think, the school and then the authorities. But then when she got, you know, what everyone's afraid of for coming forward, there was some backlash from her family. She ended up taking it all back and then she decided to go forward again. It's just heartbreaking. And most people worry about losing their life and their family, especially when they're really young. She was only 15 when she came forward. But Amelia had even more to fear than that because her abusive rapist father tried to hire a hitman to kill her, her mother, and her grandmother in order to prevent them from testifying at his upcoming trial. About child molestation? Yes. Wow. Yeah. Luckily for Amelia and her family, the person he tried to hire was actually an undercover cop. Oh, my God. Wow. I was going to ask how that got caught, but... 
So this is abuse compounded by an attempted murder plot. And get this, this is insane to me. Her father was ultimately convicted of attempting to solicit murder, but he was only given four years in prison. Yeah, so then four years later, he's out and yes! trying to hunt her down. Yeah, that's terrifying. What the hell? Four years? It's like, you could, I don't know, steal from a convenience store and get the same amount of time practically. Yeah, I feel like the fact that he went and wanted an undercover cop to do it should have been more because he was going through with it. Like, and yeah. the cop firsthand saw that he was going through with it. And that was three people that he was trying to murder. So shouldn't it be yes. four times three? Three counts, yeah. I don't know about that one, guys. Well, the abuse took a toll, as did the gossip and cruel rumors that abounded about her and her family in a small town. You know how small towns can be. Oh, yeah. They're so bored. It's just everybody's in everybody's business. I know I grew up in one. Despite the fact that Amelia was very intelligent and she had an above average IQ of 125 and she was super hardworking, despite all of that, she ended up dropping out of school in her teens. I think it was a lot about whispers and rumors and not wanting to be in that environment anymore. Having gone through what she had, it was not psychologically shocking that she experienced low self-esteem and some questionable choices when it came to men. She said she married her first husband when she got pregnant as a teenager to, quote, keep the man from going to prison courtesy of the age difference. Why? Because she was under 18 and he was over 18? Yeah. Mm -hmm. She jumped into one relationship after another, and by the time she began having an affair with Josh at 22, she had acquired three children and one ex-husband. She had also... At some point during this whole affair, married and divorced an ex-con, which is how she ended up with the last name Carr. She also picked up a little criminal record for herself when she was arrested for a very Florida crime, I, I think. Apparently, she and one of her ex-husbands, I think it was the first one because it was 2005, were charged with grand theft for stealing exotic birds. Uh... <laughs> So it's like grand theft, <laughs> grand exotic bird larceny. Wow. Is definitely a Florida crime if I've ever heard one. So court documents show that she was given two days in jail, community service and probation for her flighty indiscretion. Wow. You did not. <laughs> I went there. I went there. She really got a little carried away, huh? <laughs> So clearly, poor Amelia is not making the best decisions. And that was certainly true when it came to getting involved with Josh. Yeah. I mean, I think stealing birds is a pretty low point. That's your <laughs> rock bottom. It is. I want to know what these birds were, too, because it said that they cost like $2,100 a piece. So for God knows what reason, Amelia became fixated on winning Josh over and making him her own, which I do not. I do not get it. I also, guys, there's a snapped killer couples on this that I could not even finish because <laughs> they were trying to make it sound like Josh was this like good father and father figure. They're like, Amelia thought she had the catch of her life. She had a solid man in Josh Fulgham, a good father who could be a father figure to her kids. I'm like, what? Methy McMetherson over here? Come on. The researcher did not do good research on this story. Their due diligence. But what an upstanding member of the community and good father this man was. 
I don't get it why she liked him so much or why she was so attracted to him. I mean, he said that the sex was dynamite. So maybe that was the real pull. But she really did want to end up with this guy very much so. And she was willing to do whatever it took, which at the beginning was just never complaining about the fact that he was still with Heather. He still returned home to Heather. She was just constantly available to him and was willing to have sex with him whenever he wanted and never complained about the fact that he wasn't dumping his wife or common law wife and being with her. So she just seemed really easy to him. And she did know all about Heather because this is really screwed up is that the couples had been friends essentially before she started dating the other guy that was friends with Josh, she had been with a guy named James or Jamie Akome. And that was the father of one of her kids. And apparently the two of them, when she was with this guy, used to hang out socially with Heather and Josh. So this is all messy, small town. They all know each other. There's no way she did not know about what was going on with Josh and Heather and that they just had a baby and everything. And she might have been jealous of Heather. Heather was very pretty. I think that she had just had Josh's second child and they seemed solid. I think Heather was fairly secure in their relationship at this time. I don't know if Heather knew Josh's feelings about the lack of sex. I'm not sure if he communicated that to her. So I do feel like maybe it was she just wanted Josh. Maybe Getting one over Heather, who she was jealous of, was also part of the pull. Like, oh, you might have just had a second baby, but I'm banging him on the regular and you don't even know it. Yeah. So this went on for nearly a year without Heather knowing about it. Josh said that the primary draw of Amelia was that she would be there for him, drop everything to have hot sex with him whenever he wanted it. Eventually, Heather did wise up to Josh's infidelities, though she did not immediately know who the affair partner was. So she didn't know that it was Amelia. She just knew that he was running around on her at that point. So she got fed up and again took both kids and went to Mississippi to move in with relatives. And this time, according to her best friend and cousin, Misty, she was done with Josh. It seemed like she was absolutely for sure done with him this time and she was ready to build a life for herself. But again, once Heather left, Josh wasn't so hot for Amelia now that he could be with her out in the open. As soon as grass is greener, he wanted Heather and his family back as soon as she left. He's like a child. He's a child. And later we'll discuss actually that when they IQ test him, he has a very low IQ. Yeah. Like an 80. And I think which qualifies him as intellectually challenged. And they said that his reasoning and decision-making skills were that of a young adolescence. Yeah, I mean, that's what it sounds like. He had no ability to think through things in a future lens or almost to understand the consequences of his actions, which a lot of drug use early on, too, does not help that situation. Heather really also wanted her family back together. And that was the big thing about this and why it was so damaging that Josh kept changing his mind is that it's really hard when all you want is the person you've loved since you were 15 years old, who is the father of your children, to be back in your life. So she gets fed up. She does the right thing. She moves out. And then when he comes crawling back, it was very, very difficult for her to resist him. So 
with their babies, their youngest baby's first birthday approaching, he actually went up to Mississippi and he said, I don't want that life anymore. I want to get to be here to celebrate our children's milestones. I want to be with you. So she said that he had to stay in Mississippi with her to get away from that whole Florida crew that he had been running with that had gotten him into so much trouble. And so the couple did live in Mississippi for five whole months before Josh convinced Heather that his job prospects were better in Florida. He said he had better connections. He could get a better paying job. So he went down to Florida solo to start looking for a job. He said he was job searching. But his first stop was to Amelia's house when he got back into town. He was searching for his knob. Hear that sound? That's your sign. This year, finally, forget about all those run-of-the-mill resolutions and instead start your own New Year's revolution. It's the sound to start selling on Shopify. Ah, I love it when you get to tell our listeners about Shopify. You know it. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're selling cool clothes or like me, dreamy vintage and unique items from all around the world, Shopify simplifies selling online and in person so you can focus on successfully growing your business. Shopify covers every sales channel from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform. It even lets you sell across social media marketplaces like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. Packed with industry-leading tools ready to ignite your growth, Shopify gives you complete control over your business and your brand without having to learn any new skills in design or code. And thanks to 24-7 help and an extensive business course library, Shopify is there to support your success every step of the way. Jesse, you know starting a store like Ririku was a huge dream of mine for a really long time, and one of the biggest barriers for me was thinking through all of the logistics and details. It seemed very daunting. Having something like Shopify made so many parts of it easy, from the website to the actual process of sales, it really made it feel possible. Now it's your turn to get serious about selling and try Shopify today. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lovemurder, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lovemurder to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash lovemurder. <laughs> yes. Which, by the way, let's just call this what it is. It's a Jerry Springer moment. He gets down there and finds out in the five months that he's been gone that she married somebody else and that guy's in prison. She acts quick. She really does. She also quickly got rid of that husband because when Josh rolled back into town, she was all in on him once again. And if you're getting whiplash now, Andrea... It is only going to get stranger. So Josh claims that Heather eventually caught on to the affair that was once again going on and now knew that it was Amelia. And instead of ending the relationship, they ended up having a conversation with Amelia and the three of them started all sleeping together. Uh, <laughs> what? Uh-huh. And according to the book To Love and to Kill, Amelia and Heather even got it on on the side, potentially. So now we have a happy little polyamorous triad, right? Mm. No, of course not. 
So Amelia, I think if we're back to sexual chicken, we talked about this before in another like three way situation, which is both women wanted the man and they were kind of just both going along with it, thinking that the other woman was going to drop out and they just never did. Yeah. Who was that? <laughs> that was someone. That was the Hoyts, I think. Remember, it was like an older couple and the younger woman, Kay. So just like that, this is also not ending very, very well. So both women did not want to live out Josh's sister wives fantasy over here. Shocker. <laughs> yeah. And Heather was genuinely just getting tired of Josh's shit by now. By this time, they had been together for, I think, nearly like 11 or 12 years since she was a kid. So even though Josh officially chose Heather when it came push to shove, when both women sat him down and said, we don't want to do this anymore, you have to choose one of us. The relationship ended anyway in June of 2008 when Heather said, this has just gotten too messy for me. So she needed a break from him. Also, I guess Josh was being extremely physically abusive to her at that point as well. Okay. Like, yeah. So she had met a guy who was a single dad and he needed a live-in nanny for his children because the mother of his children was out of the picture. So she decided professionally to move in because he said her kids could come too. So she would be able to watch her kids and also take care of his kids. They were of a similar age as well. So they could play together and he was going to pay her. He was going to provide her with a car, which she didn't have at the time because I think she and Josh shared a car. So this was a perfect situation. And this guy, his name was Ben. He was a genuinely very, very good guy. And he said that when Heather moved in with him, he said, quote, she had marks all over her when I met her. Josh was beating the shit out of her. So he was trying to get her out of a bad situation and also provide help for childcare. So the kids got along. Ben treated Heather with respect. And of course, love blossomed because she's finally CPS. Yeah, yes, it is. It is. Close proximity syndrome, right? Yep. Yep. 100%. It's why all those celebrities cheat with nannies. And so she's in that situation. And also she's being treated very well and with respect for the first time ever in a relationship. And she's taking care of his kids, which is also something to admire. And nurturing. And I think that she's also seeing how a real man takes care of a family. It's funny. It's like opposite of Madonna complex. Yes. Which is so weird what happens with sexual relationships sometimes when they become more of like a motherly figure and sex stops happening. Yeah, it is. And I think it's different too when it's not their kids and it's your kids for some reason. It's very like, we'll call it the sound of music syndrome. <laughs> yeah. So at that point, they're living together. They have a relationship. And Josh took Amelia back. Now they're dating. So she's not married to the guy in jail anymore? No, apparently she got out of that. I think she was divorced or separated or something by the time she committed to Josh. So Amelia's with Josh fully now. Heather's living with Ben, but Josh cannot handle the fact that Heather's moved on. He will never be able to handle it. And so Heather had a really healthy and happy period and a real shot at a real life from about June to December 2008, even though Josh was harassing them. He apparently came by, drove by with guns. He tried to threaten Ben. He just did all of this horrible asinine stuff. At that point, during that entire time period, 
she and Ben kept their kids and they didn't see their father. So he was like harassing her because he wanted her back and harassing Ben because he was the other man. But he was also saying like, I want to see my kids and stuff. And she's like, no, you're doing drugs. You are being crazy violent. You're coming over here with firearms. You're not going to see our kids. Things kind of settled down for a while. And Josh began building a relationship and life with Amelia. Amelia got pregnant with Josh's baby during this period. And it seemed possible that they could potentially put this dysfunction behind them. And Josh and Amelia could move forward with their blended family. And Heather and Ben could move forward with their blended family. But inexplicably, in December of 2008, Heather sat Ben down and told him that she knew it was probably a bad idea. And she was really sorry to do this to him, but she needed to keep her family together. She wanted her kids to be with their dad. And she said that she was going to give Josh another chance. What about the baby with Amelia? Apparently, Josh did not give a shit about Amelia's baby. So Ben told Heather, look, I know you guys do this all the time. You break up, you get back together, but I'm not going to be there for you when you break up with him again. This is like a one-time only opportunity. And she still broke up with Ben to go back with Josh. And this is messy, messy, messy. Now, Josh hadn't just impregnated Amelia. He'd also proposed to her. So Amelia is pregnant. She's got a ring on her finger. She thinks she finally got everything she ever wanted. She's super happy. And then according to Amelia, one day he just walks in and says, I'm back with Heather. You have one week to get your shit out of my house. Oh, my God. And he moved into a hotel with Heather for one week to give Amelia a week to get out of his home, which was her home, their home together. So Heather and Josh had been talking. Clearly, they had been still communicating. Well, less than a month later, less than a month after he leaves his pregnant fiance. On December 26, 2008, Heather and Josh get married. Yep. And I say yep, guys, because of Andy's face. She can't even talk. She's just looking dumbfounded, literally. <laughs> well, get this. He gave her the same exact ring that he had just ripped off Amelia's finger when he broke up with her. He had said, we're not engaged anymore. You got to get your shit out. Give me that ring back. And then he put it on Heather's finger. Yeah, this is so dramatic. It's so dramatic. Also, according to phone records, he called Amelia minutes before he exchanged vows with Heather. He like went somewhere and had a 10-minute phone conversation with Amelia moments before he got married to Heather. So he's definitely still talking to her as well. Why would he get married to Heather then? I really don't know. Everyone said that it was potentially because of the holidays. They were reunited. They were trying to make a fresh start. It's the day after Christmas. They had a nice Christmas together. Boxing Day, it's actually the same day as my um, grandparents got married on December 26th. Really? Because my, yeah, my grandfather had leave from the Korean War and he had the holiday leave. And so they got married the day after Christmas because it was the only opportunity they had before he had to go back. A little bit different, though. They were married for like 60-something years. <laughs> a little bit different over here. He wasn't like calling his side piece right before they <laughs> changed vows, right? He was not, no. And this honeymoon was extremely short-lived. Only 10 days after they got married, 
Josh was arrested for threatening Heather with a shotgun. And then apparently after he got arrested, Heather promptly pawned the ring, the shared ring. The shared ring? The shared ring was pawned. To go on to its 18th owner. Yes. Better luck next time, ring. Godspeed. Think about that when you buy your engagement ring at a pawn shop. You don't know all the history of what happened. You got to sage that bitch and just put it on. Yeah, my ex bought me the engagement ring at the pawn shop. Do you remember that one? The one I like actually never wore because we were never really engaged. The one in San Francisco? Yes. Yeah, that tracks. The bad juju there. (laughs) So Heather and Josh are clearly on the outs again because he's mad at her. He's saying, and I don't believe this, but he's saying that she set him up and that he didn't actually threaten her with a shotgun, that she's making everything up. And this was all a plan. Like he thinks that somehow this was a scheme that she was still going to be with Ben. And for some reason, she like lured him into this marriage and set him up all so she could get custody of the kids and put him behind bars. But that's obviously not true because she would have just stayed with Ben and continued to have custody of her kids because he wasn't having even visitation when she was with Ben. And Ben wants nothing to do with Heather now because he said, that's it. Like, this is your last chance. He set his boundaries. He did, which was good for Ben. So now Heather and Josh aren't speaking. She pawned the ring. She's over it. She's realized she made a big mistake. And who is calling Josh in prison and coming to visit him? Amelia. Of course. So she's on the phone with him saying, it's always been me. And he's like, I know I should have known. No one's ever loved me like you love me. You're the only one who's there for me. And she's like, I know. When are you going to figure it out? So she is now, he's in the weakest spot of his life. And she's coming up and saying, I'm there for you. I'm going to be there for you. She's pregnant with his baby. I think she's like seven months along at this point. Jeez, Louise. Okay. So she is in the number one spot and they end up talking on the phone multiple times a day, which thankfully are all recorded because he's in jail. So we have transcripts of all of these phone conversations that they're having. So Amelia and Josh begin to plan a life together. And part of that is that they have to come up with a plan to coerce Heather into dropping the charges so that he can get out and they can be a family. So the crazy thing is, is that Amelia at this point is playing both sides because she's telling Josh how much she hates Heather and how he should have left that bitch years ago. But she's still hanging out with Heather socially. And furthermore, she's even watching her kids. She is babysitting for Heather while Heather works. On a jailhouse phone call, Amelia said that not only was she babysitting the kids who were siblings, she reminded Josh of the baby that was still in her belly, but she'd also offered to drive Heather to job interviews so that Heather could get another job to make ends meet because now she's a single mother just on one salary because Josh is out of the picture and so is Ben. Amelia said to Josh, I'm not dumb. I know what I'm doing. Keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. Well, the situation only grew more inflamed as Heather refused to drop the charges against Josh. She told Amelia, I've been through so much shit with this man. He has beat me black and blue. He's cheated on me. He's done all this stuff. Like, screw him. Let him rot in jail for a while because he deserves it. Like, I've been through so much over the last 11 or 12 years that he deserves to be in jail right now. And then she further inflamed the situation somewhat by starting to date someone new mere days after 
Josh got locked up. And the choice of lover was eh, probably left a little to be desired. Her new guy was actually Jamie Akome, Amelia's baby daddy, who was also a friend of Josh's. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's like there's no other people in the world. <laughs> there's no other people in this town for these evil to date. They're just dating each other over and over again. Yeah. And, of course, it's pissed Amelia off, and it super pissed Josh off because Josh also thought that Jamie was a predator who might sexually assault his own children because apparently Jamie had dated a 16-year-old. So basically, Jamie's dated Amelia and had a baby with her. I think one of Amelia's kids was Jamie's. Then at some point dated an underage girl. I say dated. I mean, preyed upon an underage girl. And then now is with Heather. So Josh is pissed because he thinks that his children are potentially in danger around this man. And uh, Jamie moved into the, her house, by the way. So Josh has only been in jail for like a week. And all of a sudden, Jamie's dating Heather and living in their house with their kids and driving around in Josh's car. And Amelia's pissed, of course, because technically Heather's still married to Josh. And she's the one who can drop the charges and she's not dropping the charges. And now she's dating Amelia's baby daddy. Yeah. So this is the final straw for both of them. They decided, for Josh and Amelia, they decided that their first priority was that they had to get Heather to drop the charges. But then they needed to be rid of her because once she dropped the charges, she no longer had any usefulness to them and she only caused trouble in their life. At least that's how they looked at it. So Amelia had tried to convince Heather through conversation and through just being a girlfriend, like, hey, you should drop the charges against Josh. This isn't helping anyone else. It's not helping your kids out. If he's out, he can help pay for stuff for your kids. Like she had tried to like soft convince her. And when that failed and she was hanging out with Heather and Jamie and I guess a group of their friends, one night she actually pulled out a knife and held it to Heather's throat and tried to demand at knife point that she drop the charges. While she's seven months pregnant. Well, she's seven months pregnant holding a knife to her romantic rival's throat and demanding she drop the charges against her husband, Heather's husband, who's in jail, who is also the father of the baby that she's seven months pregnant with. This is a mess. So at that point, Amelia told Josh that she was taking over planning what they were going to do to Heather because he was not making any good plans. According to the book To Love and to Kill... And this is on the recorded conversations because this was a jailhouse phone call. I got this, Amelia said. You leave it to me from here on out. Do you hear me? All right, Josh said. I'm serious, Amelia yelled. He said, okay, don't get all crazy. And she said, I'm not. I'm just tired of you telling me how this is going to happen. I'll play along like I've been playing along. I'm going to have to because you seem like too much of a pussy to do shit. So Amelia is about to lay down the law now with Josh and part of Amelia's plan to get rid of Heather is that she wants to kill her, of course, but she's very pregnant. So she's concerned about her own ability to get the job done. So she tries to hire Jamie, who is now Heather's boyfriend, to kill Heather. And what is she offering? 
these hitmen. She wanted to hire Jamie and one of his friends. She said that she would give them $500 because she had some tax return money coming to her. I thought you were going to say 500 blowjobs. <laughs> I mean, maybe that too. Sweeten the deal a little bit. A little sugar on top. So she was going to give them $500 from her tax return money to lure Heather to a place where then she could snap Heather's neck. Because at some point, Amelia had been trained as a massage therapist. So she thought she knew what to do, what moves to make to snap Heather's neck. Jamie and his friend kind of thought she was serious at this point. They were like, this situation is getting super messed up. And it spooked Jamie enough to start backing off his relationship with Heather. Because even if they didn't necessarily believe that Amelia was going to kill Heather, it was clear that this was a very contentious relationship. He had been there when Amelia had pulled out the knife. And he's kind of like, maybe I need to not be involved with either of these women. This is not a good choice for me to be around. When he said no, Amelia had to do what Amelia had to do. So she starts calling around random people and friends she knows Offering $500 to kill Heather, which is the number one thing you want to do when planning a murder is to make sure everybody you know knows. Start a group chat. <laughs> Start. It's like a, a WhatsApp chat. You name it like assassins. <laughs> assassin needed. Assassin needed. $500. But not actually an assassin, just so someone to lure her to a seven-month pregnant crazy lady who's going to try to snap her neck. Yeah, she told several people that she would have done it herself if it wasn't for the fact that she was very pregnant and she was going to need somebody to help her move the body. Because even once she snapped the neck, she's seven months pregnant, she can't stress her body out, so she's going to need somebody to help her dig a hole, get rid of the body, the whole thing. It's nice that she's thinking about her unborn child in this situation, right? She doesn't want to stress her baby out, which is nice. Watch that blood pressure, sweetheart. Yeah, most of her friends just laughed this off as kind of a jealousy-induced joke. Like, all right, okay, you're just being a little crazy. That's whatever. This was like in line with her personality. So only Jamie and his friend were kind of like, mm, maybe she's being serious. Eventually, and this was, I think, pretty closely after she held the knife to Heather's neck, Heather did decide to drop the charges. So he was let out of the local jail on February 6th, 2009. And good old Amelia was there to pick him up. The fighting between Josh and Amelia on one side and Heather and Jamie on the other continued when literally Amelia just picked him up from jail. And apparently they spotted Jamie driving by in Josh's car that Heather had lent to him and let him drive. And at that point, Josh was like, you chase that motherfucker down. And they ended up chasing him to some location where he jumped out of the car and ran into this house and they called the police because it was Josh's car. And the police came and eventually gave the car back to Josh, which then pissed Heather off because that was their only car. And she was saying that Josh gave it to her. And so if Josh gave her the car to drive their kids around, it was up to her discretion who drove it. And she gave it to Jamie to drive. So that was on her. So this is just a mess. This is not going anywhere. They're continuing to fight. They're escalating the situation. It's full-on war between Heather and Josh. But despite the fact that Josh has a ton of animosity against Heather right now for dating Jamie, for what he perceives as putting him away in jail unfairly, still Amelia was worried that 
all of this passion was because he still loved Heather, that maybe he was mad at her right now, but when the dust settled, he was going to go back to her like he always did. And Amelia was determined that this was her time. It was her turn to have Josh's baby, her time to raise a little Brady Bunch family and ride off into the sunset with Josh. And in her mind, the only thing that stood in her way was Heather Strong. Well, luckily for Amelia, and tragically for those who loved Heather, Amelia got her wish when Heather disappeared roughly a week after Josh was released from prison. On February 15th, 2009, Heather failed to show up for a shift at the Iron Skillet, which was very unlike her. She was a very reliable employee. It also wasn't like her to dip out on conversation with her best friend and cousin, Misty Strong. Misty lived in Mississippi, so the two did not see each other in person very often, but they maintained constant contact via text and the social media of the time, which I think was largely MySpace and Facebook. So she said on every different platform, they were just constantly talking for most of the day. So when Misty hadn't heard from Heather in over a week, she began making calls and discovered that a friend of Heather's had gone over to her place and said that her things were gone and that Heather was missing. Where's the kids? And the kids were with Josh, which seemed very weird because no one thought that she would leave her children with Josh. And Ben said that he had never, ever known Heather to allow Josh to take both kids at the same time for an extended period. She was so worried about him kidnapping the kids that she would only allow brief visitation with one child at a time, never both of the kids. And she also kept a hold of their birth certificates and everything because she was worried about him taking the kids. So this is very strange all over. And Josh had told some people that she had gone to Mississippi. Now Misty's in Mississippi and knows that she's not there. So she ended up calling the police and reporting Heather missing. So the police at that point went over to Heather's place where they found Jamie getting the last of its things out of the home. So Jamie told the police that on February 15th, Heather had come home from her job kind of frantic around 3.30 p.m. Now, she was supposed to be working a double that day. So that was the second shift is what she missed. And she told Jamie that she had received an emergency call from Josh while she was at work. And it had something to do with the possession of the kids. Like he was trying to take possession of the kids or... Something was going on. And so she was really worried about what was going on with him. And she had to work something out with him. So she actually took the kids at that point from the home because they were home with Jamie and drove over to meet with Josh about something. It was unclear. Jamie didn't really know exactly what she was talking about or why she took the kids to Josh's at that point if she was worried about custody stuff. But she didn't come home that night. And then she didn't come home the next night. And he ended up calling Josh to be like, what the hell? Where is Heather? Why isn't she answering my calls? And Josh said, hey, we're back together, buddy. You need to back off. She's with me. She doesn't want to talk to you ever again. I told her she can't talk to you, so she's not going to. We're with our kids and we're happy, so don't talk to me. And given the history of this whole mess, Jamie totally believed it. He was like, okay, I guess I got to get my shit out of her house and figure out my life now because... They're back together. It's always a distinct possibility. Yep. So that's what Jamie tells the police. I'm glad he had that to tell the police. Yes, that Josh had told them that they were back together. Misty had also implicated Josh in Heather's disappearance because 
Very clearly, Josh has a history of documented violence against Heather. Not only had he very recently been charged with threatening her with a firearm, Heather's mom, Carolyn, reported that three years earlier, he had called Heather's mother to inform her that he had tied Heather up, duct taped her mouth shut, and placed her in the trunk of his car. Josh said to Carolyn, I'm gonna feed her to the alligators. They'll eat her alive. So when Carolyn talks to the police, she's a mess. She's crying. She's trying to tell them the story that happened three years earlier. Misty, her cousin, is saying, it's gotta be Josh. He's got a history. He's got a record. And we've got Jamie saying that Josh said they were together. So it does not take Sherlock Holmes here to figure out who is behind the disappearance of Heather Strong. When they picked up Josh, he claimed that Heather had actually given the kids over to him. So yeah, maybe they were trying to get back together, but then she realized she couldn't do it. And that she was going to let Josh keep the kids. He had a document that looked like it was kind of signed by Heather saying that she was giving possession of her children over to him legally and that she just was not mentally well and she needed to get out of town and clear her head. So she said, your turn. I've been taking care of these kids their whole life. You're their father. You take care of them. I'm hitting the road. Yeah, but that's not like her. Not even remotely. Everyone said there is no way in hell she would have done this. And if she even was going to do this, she would have left the kids with somebody else. She would have even left them with Josh's mom, who was like another mother to her. There's no way she would sign them over just to Josh. So the police realized something was wrong over the next couple weeks because they don't know this whole situation. Obviously, these people have been back and forth a lot. There's always the possibility that Heather did just, she's an adult, decide to dip out. She's had enough. She's been through a very tumultuous time. But they realize that that's not the case, that, that she did not go away on her own volition pretty soon because she hadn't used her debit or credit cards. And everyone knew that Heather was paycheck to paycheck. She's working at a restaurant that's in a gas station. She is not making a ton of money. So she needs every dime she can, especially if she's going to take a vacation or going on the run or whatever she's doing. And they said that not only had she not used her cards, that she had failed to pick up her check at work, which is just not something you would do if you needed money, and especially if you're taking off on a trip. So they finally got a hit on Heather's debit card on March 18th, which is about a month after she had been last seen. And they got the hit at a Publix ATM. Of course, the, all of those... ATMs have cameras and they have recorded footage and they could tell that it was not Heather Strong withdrawing money. It was in fact her husband of only two and a half months, Josh Fulgham. So they tracked down Josh at his house, which apparently they said just reeked of pot. It was just weed smoke everywhere, like clouds of it. And he smelled disgusting. And he is just so clearly lying. I mean, he probably was very, very stoned, too, at this point. And they said it was just apparent that he is just making stuff up as he goes along about why he's using this card, where Heather is. He's saying, well, she's my wife, so I can use it. I found it. She left it here. So pompous. So pompous. So clearly lying. And... 
they decided now that they were going to hold Josh for fraud because he used a credit card or a debit card that wasn't his, obviously. And they're going to do some serious interviewing of this messy little circle, which is, of course, how they found out that Amelia was not just Josh's girlfriend and side piece supreme, but she was also actively trying to find someone to kill Heather because she told all these people. So, of course, Amelia gets brought in, too. And the detectives interrogated the shit out of them. And at first, clearly, they had come up with a story together that they were going to try to blame Heather's disappearance on Jamie. They were going to try to say that Jamie and his friend were the ones that wanted something to do with Heather disappearing and that he was mad at Heather. And that's how this whole thing went down. And then Jamie could literally be like, look at my text exchange with Amelia where she's offering me $500 to murder Heather. That one? That Jamie? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that specific time they were all in a car together. So he didn't have a text message exchange. But there was enough corroboration between other people that she had said the same thing to them. So they're like, yep, that's not true. We don't believe you at all. And Amelia, who's the one who has the IQ of 125, begins to realize that they're not going to get out of this scot-free. They're definitely going to get caught. And she has to throw Josh under the bus, but somehow not implicate herself in this. So, of course, she starts changing her story little by little as things go on. It's like that dribble of like little truth, but not quite the truth that comes out. It's like, oh, well, this happened. Oh, and then this happened. I forgot. I didn't mention it before, but then this happened. So she starts to suggest that, look, I thought it was Jamie, but actually, I got to be honest with you guys, Josh kind of hinted to me that he did something to Heather. And I begged him to tell me what he had done to her, but he wouldn't tell me. He just used it to threaten me when I didn't agree with him. He'd say, you want to end up like Heather? So clearly he did something to her, but I can't tell you what. And then she went as far as some point to say that... No, she knew he did something to Heather because she didn't want to admit this earlier because she was scared of Josh. But she had noticed a broken window in this trailer because she's living with her mother in this house. And behind the house, there's a trailer. And they use it mostly for storage. It's broken down. doesn't work. And she basically said she saw a broken window and then she went over and looked in the broken window of the trailer and she saw Heather tied up and blindfolded. And gagged. But she was terrified that Josh was going to hurt her as well. So she didn't say anything. And then the next day, Heather was gone. So she's like, I don't know. He was holding her, I guess. But I don't really know any other details. And I didn't come forward earlier because I was terrified that he was going to hurt me and my baby, too. So they're kind of believing her because she's at least revealing something. At the same time now, they go back to Josh and they're like, Amelia's throwing you under the bus. She said that you had... Heather back in the trailer on her mom's property. And so he's like, oh, screw her. Actually, she did everything. She's the one who said she did something to Heather. I don't know what she did. Not my property. So it's definitely her. So now he's saying almost the same thing that Amelia's saying, only it's the other way around. And after. Yeah. Now, the authorities are combing through Josh and Amelia's jail phone calls because they're all recorded people. And they found out that these dumbasses were not so cleverly plotting Heather's murder in a vague way throughout these phone conversations. On January 20th, Josh began to ask Amelia 
about how close the next door neighbor was to her mom's house and how thick the woods were. And obliquely, they talk about if Amelia's mother or the neighbor have any plans to disrupt the soil, if they're going to build anything on it, even better if they're going to build something on it and not dig in the dirt for anything. So it's very hint, hint, wink, wink to each other in the most obvious way. So that already gave the police a clue as to where they should probably look for Heather. And then, of course, there was Amelia saying that Heather had been tied up in the trailer. So they could pretty easily get a search warrant for Amelia's mother's property, which was at the time where Amelia Carr was living. And they also think that the only reason that Amelia said that she had entered the trailer, which is where she saw Heather was, but she didn't know whether she was dead or alive, was because Amelia was smart enough to know that her DNA or some physical evidence that she had been in the trailer was going to be there anyway. So she was trying to get ahead and tie her story to what the evidence might show later while not implicating herself. So they think that's the only reason why she mentioned this. Oh, I did see it. I did. I saw it through the window and then I went in, but I couldn't tell if she was alive. And then I left so that it would make sense of the evidence later on. So the authorities pretty easily found a spot of open ground that looked as though it had been recently disturbed when they searched the premises. They began digging and discovered what looked like a makeshift grave site, which is when they called in Dr. Barbara Wolf, who unfortunately did unearth a murdered Heather Strong. Dr. Wolf autopsied Heather and discovered that there was a deep bruise to Heather's skull, which indicated blunt force trauma, but the injury was not deep enough or lethal enough to have actually killed. Heather. Dr. Wolf concluded that Heather had been asphyxiated somehow without being able to fight back. So essentially there was duct tape found in the grave. It seemed that she had been restrained and then somehow robbed of oxygen because asphyxiation leaves no marks if it's done that way. If it's not just strangulation, which leaves marks, there was no marks so she thinks that they had somehow deprived her of air in some way because that's the only thing that doesn't leave marks. Dr. Wolf also noted that Heather's organ and body functioning were all in excellent health. Had she not been murdered, Heather would have had a long, healthy life ahead of her. Faced with the evidence, Josh completely broke down. Right now, at this point, Amelia was sticking to her story, which is, well, that's a shame, but Josh did it, and that's all I know. But Josh completely broke down when faced with pictures of Heather Strong, and he confessed. So here is the horrible story of what actually happened to Heather, according to Josh. So we all have to keep the grain of salt there because we're hearing this from Josh. So Josh said that he lured Heather to the trailer behind Amelia's house by saying that he had stashed $1,500 in a trailer and didn't tell her it was Amelia's trailer and needed her to be on the lookout so that he could grab it. He said that if she was his lookout, he would give her half of the money. Now, this author, M. 
William Phelps thinks that this is a little bit of a fishy story. He thinks that maybe it is more in line with something that she told Jamie, which is it was something about the kids, because the author didn't necessarily believe that she would willingly go with this guy just for a little bit of money. Yeah, no. But this is his story. So Josh says that Heather was greedy. And she said, yeah, of course. Like, and they got in the car, they had the kids with them, and they dropped the kids off at Josh's mom. So the kids are with Josh's mom. He says, okay, we're going to go to the trailer and get the money that I hid there. And as they're driving, she's like, yeah, but where is this place? And he admitted that it was on Amelia's mom's property, which is also where Amelia lived. And at that point, she started freaking out because she, I mean, this woman had threatened her at knife point. So, and she knows that they're kind of back together. She doesn't want to get involved in this. And Amelia had threatened her. So she's like, no, 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 I don't want to go. And he's like, look, I know for a fact that Amelia and her mom went to go visit her brother. So they're not even home yet. They won't be home. We can get in, get out. We'll get in really fast. And so he promised her it was going to be easy peasy. So Josh and Heather entered the trailer behind Amelia's mom's house sometime after 8 p.m. on February 15th. Now, Josh said that he told Heather he couldn't find where he'd put the money. He's like, oh, it was right here. It was on this table. I don't know what happened to it. Can you help me look for it? So they start searching for this money that doesn't exist. And there was a chair that they had already put in this place. And he asked her to sit down. And she's like, no, no, this is getting weird. What do you what do you mean sit down? I'm not going to sit down. Now, at some point on the way over, probably when they dropped off the kids at Josh's house, he had called Amelia to tell her it was on and to get ready for the murder. And so Amelia had been watching out of the house, like the dark window of the house, when they went by the house to go to the trailer, and she had followed them out. So she was waiting outside of the trailer and listening, and... She heard them fighting and Josh trying to force Heather to sit down on this chair. And so now Heather knew something was really wrong and she went and ran for the door. But Amelia opened up the door and met her there. So scary. So scary. It's also pitch black, basically. And Josh claims that Amelia hit Heather hard in the head with a flashlight at this point, which is what the authorities believe was the deep bruising to the skull that wasn't fatal. And he's blaming this on Amelia. However, there was only one flashlight that they had, and it was reasonable to think that how were they searching for this supposed money if Josh didn't have the flashlight? It doesn't make sense that they were searching for something in pitch black because there was no power or lights in this trailer. And then Amelia comes in with the flashlight. It makes it way more sense that Josh was actually the one that hit... Heather, and that he's just trying to minimize his role in this when he's telling his confession. Amelia and Josh then duct taped Heather to the chair while she was still dazed from the head injury. Then Josh apparently screamed and interrogated her about various men that she had slept with, that he thought she slept with throughout their relationship. He tried to force her into saying that she had lied about being threatened with a shotgun and that it was all a plot and that she was still plotting with Ben. He tried to get her to admit when she had had sex with Jamie or if she was still having sex with Jamie. So he is basically torturing her about all of the anger he's held in about every part of their relationship for the last decade. 
And she's scared. She's crying. She's pleading for her life. And at one point, she was so terrified that she actually peed her pants, which, according to Josh, made Amelia laugh. Oh, my God. It's disgusting. This poor girl. And so Amelia did try to break her neck, which was harder than it looked in the movies, and she couldn't do it. So when both of them now are trying to break Heather's neck and it's not working, they put a Dollar General plastic bag over her head and duct taped it closed. So Heather began convulsing as she ran out of oxygen. I heard some other reports say that they actually pinched her nose and mouth through the bag to to kind of hasten the asphyxiation. And at some point while they were doing this, the flashlight ran out of batteries. So they thought she was dead, but they weren't sure. And now they're flicking cigarette lighters to try to see if she's indeed dead. And I guess the cigarette lighters ran out of fuel too. So Amelia ran in the house to get a candle. And by the time they lit the candle, they could really see that Heather was indeed passed away at that point. Now, these guys these murderous assholes did not have a plan at all. They had a plan of how they were going to kill her, which was simplistic in the most, that they were going to get her in the trailer and snap her neck, which clearly they could not do. But they had no idea what they were going to do with the body other than, I guess, bury it somewhere on Amelia's mother's property, which also seems extremely foolhardy for somebody who's supposed to have an above-average intellect to think that police aren't going to search your property. But that's what they do. I guess that Josh immediately felt sick after what they had done, after they realized that Heather was done. And he had covered her face because the police were right. He had some regrets and he had cared for her and he could not face what he had done. So he covers her face and they actually left her. They tried to shove her in the suitcase that was in the storage trailer that was already there. And she didn't quite fit. And then they covered her with some of the other things that were in the storage trailer. And then they left. And I guess Josh had to work the next day. And when he got out of work, he came back over. And that's when they ended up burying Heather in that shallow grave. After he tells this story, they immediately arrest Josh. But the DA says that they need more evidence on Amelia. Right now, it's just his word. So they need to get some more dirt before they can arrest Amelia as well. How? I mean, he is so in it, though, that any good defense attorney could say he's just trying to get out of this by blaming Amelia. And it's her property, so it stands to reason that maybe her DNA would be all over the scene because it's her stuff, her storage unit. I could see how they would say that we need some more corroboration. We need something. Just get us something else on Amelia Carr and then we can charge her as well. But they have Josh dead to rights. Well, luckily for the detectives, a surprise informant had come forward with some information. And that was Josh's sister, Michelle Gustafson. Michelle said that with Josh behind bars and Amelia prohibited from contacting him, that Amelia was going crazy trying to figure out what Josh was saying to the cops and ascertain what they knew. So Michelle was panicked. She didn't know what she was supposed to tell Amelia or not tell Amelia. And so she had called the police to say, what do I do? What do I do if she tells me something? What do you guys want me to ask her? And the cops asked Michelle if she'd be willing to wear a wire. And she said yes, because Michelle and her mother were close to Heather. I mean, she was the mother of their grandchildren, their niece and nephew. 
they all, I think Josh's family kind of wanted Amelia to back off. They didn't really like Amelia that much. So they're now trying to get Amelia, especially because their loved one is in prison for the murder of their other loved one. And they want to make sure that Amelia goes away as well based on her involvement, because I'm sure that they think none of this would have ever happened without Amelia's coercion. Yep. Okay. So Michelle agrees to wear the wire and appear that she's offering support to Amelia. On March 24th, 2009, Michelle drove Amelia to a park where Michelle revealed that Josh had told her everything and she knew that Amelia had been involved with killing Heather. So at first, Amelia didn't really want to talk about it. But after a little bit of prodding, Amelia said, you know what? Three heads are better than two. I want to get Josh out of this. I want to get out of it. I still think we should try to blame Jamie and his friend. And we can come up with reasons why. So, Michelle, maybe you can help us talk through this and figure out what's a convincing story to tell the police so we can frame Jamie. And she was trying to focus on that. Well, Michelle just started crying and was like, no, Josh told me some parts. He didn't tell me everything, but he made it sound like you were involved a lot. What's the real story? Like, I'm going to be the aunt to your baby you're about to have. We're going to have a relationship. I'm going to take care of your kids no matter what. Just tell me the truth. Just tell me what happened that night. And eventually, Amelia admitted everything over this recorded conversation. Whoa. Yeah. Amelia echoed that Josh had called her to prepare for Heather to come over, and the plan was for the two of them to kill her. She said that she was outside the trailer when Josh began interrogating Heather. And this is from the book To Love and to Kill, which is this dialogue comes directly from this recorded conversation. Amelia said every time he heard something he didn't like, he hit her. He hit her upside the head and broke a flashlight. She tried to run for the door and she knocked me down so I had bruises on my knee. And when she was running for the door, she knocked the window out. Amelia said that Josh dragged Heather back to the area of the trailer where he had that chair set up for her. Then he taped her to the chair before screaming in her face, letting her know that she had hurt him for the last time. Amelia said that they then put a bag over her head and we tried to snap her neck, but it did not work. So Michelle asked why Amelia wanted to break her neck. Why was Amelia doing this? And Amelia said, I figured it would be quick and painless. Poor Heather. At that point, she stopped and point blank asked Michelle if she was taping the conversation. So the detectives were listening in 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 real time and Michelle played it off pretty well. She was like, no, of course not. What are you talking about? But then the police like pulled in next to them and they both were like, oh, shit, isn't that the detective? And they came out and they were like, yeah, we're going to have to take you for some more questioning. And so they got basically took... Amelia out of the situation because Michelle was, of course, getting scared that Amelia realized what was going on. And they already had enough. I mean, she had admitted, we did this, we did that. It was all we. So they had everything they needed now to charge Amelia and they arrested her. And now when they arrested Amelia, she, despite having just been taped saying she participated in the murder, continued to deny everything, say she was completely innocent, that she had no idea what was going on. And she only had the vaguest hint that Josh had done something to Heather. Despite her proclamations of innocence, both Amelia and Josh were indicted on first-degree murder charges by the end of April of 2009. 
Amelia's baby was born less than a month later and was immediately placed into state custody. It was not actually clear whether the baby was Josh's or not. According to rumors reported to M. William Phelps, Amelia had slept with another friend of Josh's while the couple was fighting, and she became pregnant in order to either spite Josh or to trick him into thinking he was the dad so he would stay with her. Wow. At that point, Josh says now that he does not believe that he was actually the father of Amelia's baby. And I do believe that since that sweet, innocent baby has been placed with a loving family. So I think that it's the best outcome. The best outcome for that baby. I really hope that child is out there somewhere with a beautiful future stretched out before her. Yes. But you know who wasn't looking at a bright, beautiful future? Yeah, those murderous POSs. <laughs> yes, that's entirely correct. Josh and Amelia, because very early on, the prosecutor said that they were gunning for the death penalty for both of them. Whoa. Amelia's trial kicked off first on December 1st, 2010, and the prosecutor argued that a jealous and conniving Amelia had orchestrated and participated in the brutal murder of her romantic rival, Heather Strong. The biggest strike against Amelia was her own words on the recording from Josh's sister, of course, admitting completely her involvement in the murder. But there was also Jamie Akome's testimony and, of course, all the other people that she mentioned this to who had been offered $500, a.k.a. her tax return, to kill Heather. So that certainly did not help things. A psychologist also testified that Amelia's profile indicated that she was much more of a leader than a follower. What the prosecution was trying to get ahead of was the defense presenting Amelia as this poor, abused woman who was being taken advantage of by Josh and forced against her will to participate in this murder. Yeah, not the case. Not the case. And also, in my opinion, it kind of doesn't matter who was the leader or the follower because they both were total co-conspirators and co-killers the whole way. Yep. Amelia's attorney did argue that Josh was the one with the history of violence against Heather, which is true, but she conveniently left out the time that Amelia held a knife to Heather's throat in front of witnesses. Amelia took the stand in her own defense, which is usually not done. Defense attorneys do not usually recommend this, and she didn't do a great job either. She claimed that the police lied to her and threatened her. She said that they told her that they were going to take her children away from her if she did not cooperate with them and tell them exactly what they wanted to hear. According to Amelia, they said, you want to see that baby be born, right? Pointing to her stomach. Now, Amelia was eight months pregnant or around thereabouts. So I'm pretty sure she was going to see that baby get born no matter what. I don't think the police were going to knock her out and do a late-term abortion on her. No. So this seems a little far-fetched that this occurred. She also claimed that she only said those words to Michelle that were on the tape because she was told by the police that she had to go basically undercover to go digging for information. And so she was lying to Michelle oh God, to no. get information no. about Josh. Wow. Okay. <laughs> okay. Also, it was definitely the cops that made her do that. Amelia categorically denied 
everything, including previous statements that she had made to the police that said she saw Heather in the shed or that she knew about this from Josh somehow. She decided to go full on denial mode and said, I've never seen Heather in the shed. I didn't participate in it. I didn't know about anything. I am shocked that all of this went down. So we have to believe that somehow Josh had tortured, killed and buried his wife on Amelia's mother's property where Amelia was living at the time without Amelia ever being wise to the entire venture. Yeah, that's further than a stretch. Yeah, that does not seem likely. Well, the jury seemed to agree because after only two hours of deliberation, the verdict was... Guilty without parole. <laughs> it was guilty, yes. And then during the sentencing phase, Amelia's attorney brought up mitigating factors. So now Amelia's attorney is just saving her from having the death penalty. Okay, yeah. So what are the different, what are the different options? Death penalty or LWAP or jail for a certain amount of she's gonna get life but i think that the options are death life without possibility of parole or life with, with. Possibility got it of parole. so three yeah. options still i mean that's more than she should have but whatever yeah so amelia's attorney brought up mitigating factors like the severe sexual abuse that amelia had suffered as well as of course her father attempting to kill her and that she had basically been preyed on by a lot of men throughout her life which I honestly think the defense should have led with. She was only 24 years old and she had never had a violent offense when this happened. I think it would have been very fair to go with the fact like we are going to try to get maybe second degree murder or something lower by saying she's a woman who's been abused her entire life. Think about it when she came across something that she didn't know how to deal with or some sort of obstacle. She actually did what her dad did. She tried to eliminate it through getting somebody to help her kill this person. And I think that you could bring psychologists on the stand and talk about her makeup and it would have probably ended up better for her than the old deny, deny, deny. Exactly. They didn't talk about any of that at all in the actual not trial. Not really. It seemed like her abuse did not really come out until they were already in the sentencing. So weird. Portion. I wonder what the rationalization was for that. Well, we're going to get into what happens with Josh later, but Josh's attorney also said that he didn't think Amelia's defense attorney did a good job. And he definitely felt like that because at the end of the day, even though there was all these mitigating factors, the jury did vote to give her the death penalty. Whoa. Yeah. And the judge does not have to listen to the jury's recommendation, but in this case, he did. So Amelia was sentenced to death. So that was another reason why Josh's attorney was like, if she had had me, she would have ended up with life in prison. So let's talk about what Josh got. Josh's trial was pretty much a slam dunk. I mean, he also confessed. So they had his full confession. The prosecutor in Josh's trial had the incredible name of Rock Hooker. Rock Hooker summed it up best when he said in his closing statement, he buried his wife in his pregnant girlfriend's backyard. And that's all you need to know about this situation because there was no denying it. Whatever his reasons were, however it went down, he buried his wife in his pregnant girlfriend's backyard. End of story. I mean, this is basically Jerry Springer meets Forensic Files here. It took the jury no time at all to deliver a guilty verdict. So guys, sorry, trigger warning again for child sex abuse. 
Josh had an excellent attorney who specialized in the death penalty, and he argued that Josh had a limited IQ and also suffered PTSD from his own childhood sexual abuse. Family members claimed that Josh had been forced to go down on an adult female when he was only about six or seven years old in exchange for cigarettes. Oh, my God. Yeah. However, according to Josh's account in interviews to author M. William Phelps, this did not actually happen. Author Phelps wrote, Josh told me that the sexual abuse argument presented by his lawyers during the penalty phase was a total fabrication made up by someone in his extended family. When me and my cousin were young, Josh wrote to me in a final letter between us, we experimented and tried some sexual things. That same cousin, Josh went on to proclaim, got into some trouble one day when she was young. She took that little bullshit we were doing and made it out that somebody else in our family was doing shit to us. Regarding his cousin, he wrote, she lived that lie for so long and used it as a crutch for her fuck-ups, and she has now convinced herself that it really did happen. He never wanted any of it to come up during his trial, but his cousin had his defense team convinced. Which his lawyers were only too happy to use to excuse his behavior and hopefully get him off death row. And it worked. Yeah. It did work because regardless of whether the sexual abuse was true or not, the jury didn't know that Josh denied it because this all came out in letters to the author afterwards. And they must have felt something, which is strange because the previous jury, because it's a different jury, did not give a fig that that happened to Amelia, it seemed. But for whatever reason, the jury in Josh's case recommended life in prison without the possibility of parole. And that judge also took the recommendation of the jury. And that is what Josh was sentenced to. So crazy. That's two different sentences. Yeah. And that that was a part of eventually Amelia does appeal. And I believe that was part of the appeal is that when you do the same crime, I think you have to have some sort of commensurate punishment. And she did successfully appeal her death sentence in 2017 and was resentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. And she continues to maintain her innocence to this day. It is really sad, though, because she was 24 years old when she went to prison and she'll spend the rest of her life there. So young. And the baby, you said, found a really amazing home. I know that they were placed with an adoptive family. So hopefully, <laughs> hopefully it was a wonderful home. <laughs> Let's all send some really good vibes for that baby growing up. I think it's really interesting that both Heather and Amelia placed a child with an adoption agency and, and hopefully to find a happy adoptive family that were potentially Josh's babies. And it's interesting to see that I was thinking about those babies growing up and looking at 23andMe or, you know, getting to be 18 and going through their files and finding out that this tragedy is a part of their story which is a super bummer, but I really hope that it'll give them a little appreciation for the decision especially Heather made to make that decision for her child and their adoptive parents who are hopefully lovely. It's a rough case. And I told you a little earlier that I thought M. William Phelps was kind of spicy. And he did his acknowledgments and he talks about 
all the people that helped him out through the making of this book and all the people who participated in interviews. And he says, like at the very end, right before he thanks his family, he says, I cannot thank either Josh or Amelia for their participation because they murdered a human being. And I detest that crime and them at the highest level. Okay, snaps. Snaps. Mr. Phelps. <laughs> snaps, Mr. Phelps. You guys will know him. He has a very popular podcast himself. But you'd, you'd recognize him from Investigation Discovery if you watch any of those shows. He's constantly on them. He's got like the frosted tips. Amazing. <laughs> Anyways, snaps, Mr. Phelps. I really appreciated that when I was finishing the book. In conclusion, if you find yourself dating your ex's ex's ex, and maybe doing that more than once, and they're different people, but still somehow your ex's ex's ex, or just your ex's ex, or just your ex. I don't know. I'm just saying maybe it's time to move. Probably relocating is a good idea. <laughs> I think yeah. so. And listen, I know that there are exceptions, but usually there's a reason that you broke up with your ex. So let's just not go back and then go back again <laughs> yes. and then again. Yes. And again. And again. Well, that's, Andy, you're the exception. Yeah, there's exceptions out there. <laughs> there's exceptions. That's Andy's own personal love murder red flag. <laughs> she got back together and married her ex. <laughs> you guys were babies when you were together yeah. the first time. Exceptions. Eh, exceptions. And as always, trust your gut when it comes to love so no one ends up murdered. Thank you, guys. Bye. 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 